Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals. From the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. What's up, all you outlaws and gunslingerites? Uh, is, that a, is that a thing? I, outlaws and uh, outlaws and gunslingerites. Gunslingerins. Gunslingerins. <laughs> Gunslingerins. Gunslinger maniac. Gunslinger axe. Nah, outlaws know. and gunslinger rats. Outlaws and gunslingerites. I think, I think that's the one. I wouldn't I, do anything. Outlaws and gunslingers. How about that? Are you outlaws and gunslingers listeners? How about hey, that? That's the way to go. I will take that. Either or, we're back for another episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers. And we're getting down to the gritty nitty. I mean, we're moving on. I mean, I mean, these guys are the most important people. But let's face it. The real shit happens in like 20 years from now. What's the real shit? Fucking the real mob. Well, not the real mob, but the when the mob gets mobbish. <laughs> Well, this ain't the mob. Right, it is, though. It's organized crime. Same well, thing. Well, it's not organized. If you've heard, if you guys heard the Bonnie and Clyde episode and pretty well, much Bonnie the John Clyde Dillinger episode and the uh, Machine Gun Kelly episode, that's yeah, not, guys, or, there was nothing organized about, about that at all. Yeah, but these guys are all connected to the to the five families by now. Mm, no, these guys are just bank robbers and stuff now. That's all right. these guys are. John Dillinger wasn't. Bank Bay, robber, man. Bayface Nelson was kind of in the game. Well, I guess we'll see that. You just spoiled it. Well, it's not really. I say that all the time, but it's not really a spoil if uh, if people are clicking on it because they've seen the episode. (laughs) The title of the episode is Babyface Nelson. So everybody's about today, Babyface Nelson. We're in the the midst. I think we only have one more, uh, one more, one more public enemy era gangster. Public enemy, yeah. Public enemy era gangster to go after today. Maybe two. Which is probably. What's his name? It doesn't matter anyway. We're doing this. No, what's week. his name? We'll figure it out next week. What the fuck is his name? Uh, you know who I'm talking about. A lot of people. We did Machine Gun Kelly, Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, Babyface Nelson. What's the other one? Oh, fuck. What's the other one? There's only one other one. I know. We'll figure it out by the end of this episode. Wait. Yeah, we're in the midst of the public enemy era. We're coming to a close with the public enemy era, but we're still in the 1930s. We got a lot, right. a lot more 1930s. Uh, uh, gangsters and criminals and outlaws and gunslingers of the 1930s. But if you're just tuning in to Outlaws and Gunslingers for the first time, you can go back. We started off this epic series epic, with the Wild West. Wild, wild west. <laughs> wild, wild west. The Wild, wild west, wild where wild west. we covered everybody from Wild Bill Hickok, Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, from to the to the to the to the obscure guys like um, Billy Kidd. Well, he's not obscure. Oh, I mean, we even had a couple uh, Syracuse. I can't think of now. I think I can't think of them right now. But we we did like 20, 22 episodes on the Wild West from everybody ranging from the big popular Sam guys Bass. to Sam Bass to some guys you might not have known. And then we went into the Prohibition era. Al Capone, the real McCoy, the real McCoy, and all those type of guys there. Like right. I said, popular guys and lesser known guys that people might not you don't like history forgot almost. Hey, yeah. And then uh, now we're uh, here in the 1930s, 
like I said, starting it out with the Public Enemy series. And just so you guys know, when you're tuning in, if this is the first time you guys are tuning into this, Tune we're in. not experts. Which you already we didn't can study. The, right. You, you, you can, can already tell, tell in, this, in, the, in this brief time that we've introduced this podcast. We're not experts. We didn't go to school and no. study fucking um, um, this type of history. We're nope. just we're just history fans. Nope. We're history fans. We're history fans just like you guys are tuning in. And so most of the time we're learning this while you are. And a lot of, yeah, exactly. A lot of stuff that, that we're doing right now we're learning just as much as you're learning and, so and don't we get, can we're out we're on the we're on the right. we're on the path of learning together right. so and don't get offended if we mispronounce a name or a city or something like that and especially for you people that have already been listening they're they're uh, the people that are already listening are like <laughs> yeah trust me they're there shaking, will be they're shaking their they're shaking their heads already like yeah they, there will be mispronunciations that's our t-shirt and a lot of f-bombs right Sometimes we mispronounce those. <laughs> right. With Anywho. that being said, Babyface Nelson, Lester Joseph Gillis, he's better known as Babyface Nelson. Obviously, he was a young gangster and bank robber from Chicago. Oh, Chicago. He was associated with the Tui Gang and John Dillinger himself, Obviously. which you guys heard on the last episode. If you heard the last episode, if not, go check out the John Dillinger episode. The Tui Gang, though, I did a little thing on them there i mean there's not too much you can fucking find but yeah everything that's noteworthy you're gonna hear in this episode right so, and uh 1934 he was named public enemy number one the second public enemy number one and by the end of that year he would be dead at the age of 25 mm. during his crime spree babyface nelson who was using the alias george nelson Gillis, I guess. Right. Gillis was using alias George Nelson. He was responsible for killing more FBI agents in the line of duty than any other person up until this point, and mm. probably even more until after forever. Wow. Like, who has killed more FBI agents than this guy? Right. We'd hear about it. I'm looking at uh, you're looking State at Street State in Street Chicago, in Chicago, Illinois, by a Detroit photograph company. So Detroit's down here, and looking at Chicago, year 1900, and it looks. Pretty fucking uh, jumping. Which was uh, eight years before. You got the uh, trolley in the middle of the fucking street. Eight years before Gillis was born. You got the trolley in the middle of the street, and you got people on both sides of the street like New York. Chicago is a jumping place, man. Not only like New York. Huh? Any, any town back in the day. Big town, right? That's like a New York picture. Come on. Well, obviously, it's Chicago. Right. Gillis was born December 6, 1908. In Chicago, Illinois. Yes, he was. He was arrested on 4th of July, 1921, at the age of 12, after accidentally shooting a playmate in the jaw with the pistol that he had found. He just found a pistol. He's like, take this shit up. <laughs> oh, shit. It's the 20s. He's like, look at all these pistols laying around. I'm going to pick one up. I like to know how it happened. How did he just find a pistol? I know there's a police story about what exactly happened. How did he right? just find a pistol? Right. Wow. Well, he served a year in the state reformery. After serving over a year in the state reformatory, he was released and was soon roaming the streets of Chicago with a gang of juvenile hoodlums. I mean, that is, he was probably just an innocent little dude. Well. Found a fucking gun and was like, oh, but you, oh, no. And then he went to a fucking facility where it turned him into a fucking... Uh, turned George him into Young. what he would become. Turned him into George Young. Right. <laughs> He went. He went into fucking the prison as a in a bachelor in. Come on, don't botch the line. Rattlesnake fucking hunting and came out in a fucking <laughs> rattlesnake. Doctor. He's in Chicago. Yeah, it's still country. He's in Chicago. Then. Yeah, but it's country back then. He's in Chicago. Right. He went in a rat and rat hunting. <laughs> he came in. He came into juvenile in, well, with the bachelor in rat hunting. Come on, you're in the midst of the prohibition. He's young. He Thirteen was 12. years old. He was 12 in 1921. Right. He was young. So he's, I just picture him running around like, um, who's the poor kids in that one, right. one uh, right. Disney movie? Was right. it Oliver Twist or something? Right. Oliver, was was it little, in Chicago? I was in I a think. big city. I think it was New York, but still, it would apply to Chicago, wouldn't it? I would say. Those little fuckers running around stealing people's wallets and shit. Right. That's what, what I was they I, called? What were they called? I think it was Oliver Twist or something. Yeah, it wasn't the ragtag gang or they something. something yeah. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I've never seen the movie. Anyway, the guy went to prison at the age of 12 for accidentally <laughs> he shooting He didn't go to prison. Buddy, he went to reformatory. Basically. He was arrested again for theft and joyriding. At the age of 13. At the age of 13, just as he got out of fucking reformatory school. Right. And he was sent to a penile. <laughs> yeah, a penal school for 18 months. 18 well, penal months. school is basically uh, a military school. He, uh, 
Yeah, he's 12 and 13, and already he's just in and out of jail already. We already know what his life is going to be like. He's in the juvenile system right now, basically. Well, after the release from the penal system, he's uh, immediately returned to his hoodlum ways and became an accomplished car thief. I mean, why would you not? Why would you not, right? you got to elevate. He soon became gang-affiliated and was dubbed Babyface. I think he was already gang-affiliated in uh, Lockup. And when they were like, when you go on the street, when you go on the street, you, you represent us, guys, right? And they'll put you to work, right? Well, that's why I see. He it. was dubbed Babyface due to his youthful, youthful appearance and small stature, and he's fifteen. Although his associates <laughs> just called him Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy! Not there's not many people out there that actually called him Babyface to his face. No, he didn't like it. Just like oh, Bugsy didn't like that. Exactly. His other early criminal activities included stealing tires, <laughs> running stills, bootlegging, and armed robbery. Was, he was he was involved in everything, and this is only 1924. And this motherfucker's running stills. Right. He didn't have to steal tires. Why are you stealing tires? Yeah, anything that makes money. <laughs> right. Year is 1928. Babyface Nelson was working at a neighborhood Standard Oil station. Everybody remembers the Standard Oil. Okay, look at him. What a, what a legit job. Okay. Right. Which became the headquarters for a group of young tire thieves, <laughs> obviously, known as, you guessed it, the Strippers. The Strippers. At this time, he became associated with the members of the suburban base Tui Gang. I don't know if I'm saying that right. T-O-U-H-Y. Tui Gang. Tui Gang, yeah. That year, which was 1928, he met and married a sales girl named Helen Wawarin... I think it's Warzniak. Warzniak. And the couple would eventually have two children of their own. Yes, they would. Uh, she would retain the name Helen Gillis throughout their marriage. All right, so he's a, he's a member of the Strippers. Now he's got a wife, two kids, eventually. And she's taking his uh, his street name. Right. Well, in, uh, within two years of 1928, so about 1930, Nelson was leading a gang, which was actively involved in armed robbery. Okay. On January 6, 1930, the gang forced themselves into the home of magazine executive Charles M. Richter, okay. tied him up with adhesive tape, Ooh. what other kind of tape is there, Right. and made off with approximately $205,000 worth of jewelry, which is equivalent to approximately $3.2 million in today's time. A hell of a score. That's a, like that's like a retire score. You ain't kidding. That's his first score, pretty much. You ain't kidding. The hoodlums continued these home. The hoodlums continued these home invasions at other locations, earning themselves the nickname of the Tape Bandits. Oh, oh, we're the Wet Bandits, Merv. Merv, Merv. <laughs> we're the Wet Bandits, Merv. That's where that comes from, boys. <laughs> it is. I bet you something like that, right? Twenty first of April. At least inspiration, right? Right. Twenty first of April, nineteen thirty. Babyface Nelson robbed a bank for the first time okay. ever. Okay, his first bank. I don't He's think... like, you know what? How about we go rob a bank? Wow, and look at his first score off a of bank Nothing. compared to what he just did by uh, robbing that guy's house. He came out with a measly $4,000. Wow. A month later, he and his gang netted $25,000 worth of jewelry from home invasions. So much safer. Why are they still on the road doing this shit when they just made $3.2 million? I don't understand. I think he wanted to rob that bank just to see what it was. It's it was the like, life eh. of a criminal. Right. You just can't get away with it. No matter how much money you fucking got. But then they got twenty five grand from home invasions. Come on, fuck that bank. There's nobody. There's no armed guards at a so bank. So that's a couple anything. hundred thousands worth. Right. Third of October, Nelson robbed the uh, Itzica. Itasca. Itasca. Yeah, the Itasca Bank, the Itasca State Bank. He only got forty six hundred bucks. But what this time a teller a teller later identified him as one of the robbers. They're like, that's him. Mm-hmm. Well, three nights later, he stole the jewelry of a wife of Chicago Mayor Bill Big Bill Thompson. So look at this again: four thousand dollars for the first bank he robbed, and then they grabbed a couple houses and got twenty five grand. Right. Decided to rob another bank, got forty six hundred bucks. Right. Mm. Well, three nights later, he wants to rob another house, but it's the mayor of Chicago, is Big Bill Thompson. Right. Eighteen grand. 18 fucking So they grand. just made another million. Right. From April to uh, October. Well, the mayor's wife described her attacker saying he had a baby face. Okay. He was very good looking. Mm. Hardly more than a boy. Had dark hair, wearing a gray top coat, and a brown felt hat. A turned down brim. The brim as was, well. yeah, the right. brim was turned down. Nelson and his crew were later linked to a botched roadhouse robbery in Summit, Illinois, 23rd of November, 1930. In the ensuing gunfight, three people were killed and three wounded. Three nights later, Nelson's gang robbed a tavern on Wakagan Road. And Nelson committed his first murder there's of his, note. There's his first murder. 
when he failed his shot, stockbroker Edwin R. Thompson. All right. Edwin R. Thompson. That's his first murder there. So now he's a murderer. It went from uh, 1930. He was born in 1908. So he's fucking 18 years old here. Yes, sir. First murder at 18 years old. Well, throughout the winter of 1931, most of the tape bandits were rounded up, including Nelson. Wow. He was sentenced to a prison term of one year to life. One year to life? Oh, shit. <laughs> For a January... Oh, one to life. All right. Well, we'll give you a one to life. Uh, for a January 1931 bank robbery in Chicago. Wow. Well, after a year's confinement, Nelson was removed from the Illinois State Penitentiary in Joliet, Illinois, to stand trial on another bank robbery and uh, another bank robbery charge in Wheaton, Illinois. On February 17, 1932, Nelson escaped prison guards while being returned to Joliet. Through his contacts within the Tui gang, Nelson fled west to Reno, Nevada. So that's where he fucked up. If he could have just done it, well, he might have done some years there. Right, he was to life. Right, right. <laughs> he fled to Reno, Nevada, where he's harbored, harbored by William Graham, a who was a known crime boss and gambler Ooh, at the time. So we got a crime so, boss, right, coming in the mix here. William Graham. Well, he was with the two guys already. So, using the alias Jimmy Johnson, he won seven uh, NASCAR championships. <laughs> what? <laughs> plus a couple national championships at uh, University of Miami. And plus a couple of Super, Super Bowls, Bowls <laughs> with fucking Dallas Cowboys. Two. This guy's fucking nuts. Two. One, three. Two. I think it was three. No. Barry Switz or whatever won the last one. Wow. And he later became a Fox football analyst. <laughs> right. Fucking nuts. And then Dude did, did it all. And then did Survivor. <laughs> this guy's fucking crazy. This guy's fucking crazy. Anyway, he used the name Jimmy Johnson. He moved on to Sausalito, California, Sausalito. where he met John Paul Chase. Oh, this guy. Well, John Paul was involved in a liquor smuggling operation with Underworld Connections. Underworld. Nelson soon began to work with Chase as an armed guard for the truck used to illegally transport the liquor. Okay. They became very close, and Nelson was soon joined by his wife. All right, so his wife's in the fold now. She's with... Uh, him and uh, John Paul Chase, so we right. got a little little uh, inner gang going right. on here. A little threesome going here, right? Well, that next winter, Nelson returned to Reno, where he met Elvin Carpus, who introduced him to Midwestern bank robber Eddie Bentz. Oh, no. Teaming up with Bentz, Nelson returned to the Midwest in May of 1933. He's like, where are we going? To my fucking stomping to grounds. To the stomping grounds. Eddie's stomping grounds. In Indiana, Nelson met, in Indiana, Nelson met several criminals, including Homer Van Meter. Hey. Who is, if you guys recall, uh, if you guys listened to the last episode, he's, uh, he ran with Dillinger. Did. And occasionally accompanied them to San Antonio. Wow. It was during this time that Nelson may have made his original connection with the Dillinger gang. What did I just say? Homer Van Meter? I mean, come, come on. on. There's the connection come right on. there. It's come on. It's all right there for you to fucking see. Yep. 18th. And here's what goes on in our neck of the woods, people. Right. 18th of August, 1933. Nelson robbed a bank in Grand Haven, Michigan. Hmm. The Grand Haven bank robbery convinced Nelson he was ready to lead his own gang. He's like, you know what, I did pretty. He's like, he's like, you know what, fellas, I did pretty good in leading this little robbery right here. Right. So I think it's time to break off, and I'm going to be the leader. Right. Okay? Right. Through connections at the Green Lantern Tavern in St. Paul, <laughs> in the Green Lantern Tavern, <laughs> Green Lantern Tavern, Green Lantern Tavern, Green Lantern in the Green Lantern Tavern. <laughs> Through connections at the Green Lantern Tavern. What? <laughs> Through connections at the Green Lantern Tavern in St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> it is Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's not Minneapolis. Thing, right? What is St. Paul, Minnesota? Is, it's and Minneapolis cities. is right, across, it's the right across the river. <laughs> Same thing. Nelson recruited uh, Homer Van Meter, okay. Tom Carroll, okay. and Eddie Green. And Eddie Green. So this was when? This August, was August. This was in 1930. August 18, 1933. Well, with these men and two other local thieves, okay. Nelson robbed the First National Bank of Brainerd, Minnesota of nice. $32,000 on October 23rd, 1933. $640,000 equivalent to $640,000 today. Witnesses reported that Nelson wildly, wildly sprayed submachine gun bullets at bystanders at his, as he made his getaway. So yeah, he just, wasn't he's on the, he's right. on the fucking street just... But I don't think he's shooting at him. It's like of course a, he is. He's just... He's just Right. He's just, shooting. He's just making sure he's back. Right. They're back. Right. Well, after collecting his wife, Helen, and four-year-old son, Ronald, Nelson left with his crew for San Antonio, Texas. Get the fuck out of there and go he'd to go, the fucking Texas. Go, we're down in Texas, boys. Right. In San Antonio, Nelson and his gang bought several weapons for Underworld Gunsmith. Not for. Oh, from. Right. Underworld Gunsmith, Hyman Lehman. Hyman, huh? One of those weapons was a thirty-eight Super Colt. 
pistol. Oh, jeez. Not a special. 38 Super Colt. Oh, no. That had been modified, so oh, it was fully no. automatic. Dude, imagine a 38 Colt fucking Super Colt. Nelson used this gun to kill Special Agent W. Carter Baum at Little Bohemia Lodge several months later. Which we will be hearing all about uh, in 38, 38 Super Colt automatic. automatic. That's just stupid. That's a big-ass blast, dude. There's a lot of kickback, too. I think they made movies about that. 38 Special. No, it's 44 Magnum. They made a whole band out of that <laughs> and, and a song. That's Midnight. No. Midnight Special. No. Midnight Special. 38 Special. The whole band called 38 Special, though. Yeah, I think Which was uh, a band member. I think it was the Van Zant's brother. I think so. 38 Special. One, one of the brothers of the Van Zants, right? I think it was the guy that was on uh, Sopranos. Mm, no. Yeah, 38 Special. No, that's sure. his name's not Van Zant. Yeah, it's Van Zant. It's not. It's Van Zant. Oh, that's right. Right. Difference. Zand D. D. D.T. D.T. Well, they're known. Yeah, well, on December 9th, 19th, <laughs> he plays for Bruce Springsteen's band. Right. Which is <laughs> no, no, no correlation between the band he's 38 always, Special. He's always working for the boss, no matter what he's doing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> on December 9th, 1933, a local woman tipped off San Antonio police oh, regarding the presence the San Antonio police? nearby of high-powered northern gangsters. Oh, we, got quote northern, unquote. we got some Yankee gangsters. Yeah, Yankee gangsters. Two days later, Tommy Cur- Tommy Carroll was cornered by two detectives and opened fire, oh, no. killing Detective 8C Perrin. And wounded Detective L. Hartman. Oh, no. All the Nelson gang, except for Nelson, fled San Antonio. Well, Nelson didn't, huh? Well, Nelson and his wife traveled west to the San Francisco Bay Area, right. where he recruited John Paul Chase and Fatso Negri for a new wave of bank robberies the following spring. Right. They're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. That's perfect, actually. He's like, he's like, you guys might flee to fucking... Um, Wherever you're going, but guess what? We're going in a different direction. We're going to continue robbing banks. Right. I don't care what kind of heat's on us right now. We're right. We're, see, most likely you're you going to follow. Said, most likely you're going to follow. The but other you guys. just they're said at the do, beginning of this episode, do more damage. The other guy. But you just said damage. at the beginning of this episode, it's organized crime. This isn't organized. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is, no. This is reckless. Right. This is fucking. This <laughs> is just. This is like ignorant. Old, this is like an old school fucking. Uh, 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 well, it's, uh, guns, guns, uh, uh the nine, no, I don't even know, I don't even know. <laughs> the 19, the early 1930s was definitely the new wild, wild west. Wait, no, yeah. Well, wild, wild Midwest. Right. The wild, wild Midwest. Right. And that's what these guys are doing. That's why Dillinger was fucking, I mean, uh, Babyface was smart. He's like, all right, these motherfuckers are going to ride north into Oklahoma and fucking to the Midwest. Yeah, but we know who they're searching after. Yeah, but don't matter. They ain't they're, searching after them. Yeah. They're searching after him. But they're going to follow the crimes and they ain't going to find out that he ain't there until a couple cities. A couple of towns. Well, they're like, oh, they hit. They just hit north. Okay, let's go north. Uh, fucking Babyface. Well, those guys place. fled. They're not hitting anything. Yeah, yeah. Babyface is the one that's hitting shit on the west coast yeah, but now. You know, those guys ain't just gonna stop. Well, we don't know that. Third of March, nineteen thirty-four. John Dillinger made his famous wooden pistol escape. Yes, we know about that from the jail in Crown Point, Indiana. Dude crafted a wooden pistol and escaped from jail. Although details remain in some dispute. The escape is suspected to have been arranged and financed by members of Nelson's newly formed gang, including Homer Van Meter, who was Tommy associated Carroll, with Dillinger, right? Eddie Green, and John Red Hamilton. Yes, sir. With the understanding that Dillinger would repay some parts of the bribe money out of his share. So he had, yeah. They were like, dude, I got, he's like, I got this money. They're like, we'll break you out of prison or jail. Are you sure you got this money? Yeah, dude, I buried it. Well, no, we'll break you out of jail, but you repay some of that money on our first robbery that we do together. Right. It's pretty much what's happening here. Right. So we'll break you out of jail, Donny, Johnny. Right. But then some of the money, your part's going to us because we just fucking risk our, our, we stuck our neck out for you. <laughs> right. And plus they need them anyway. Well, the night that Dillinger arrived in the Twin Cities, Nelson and his friend John Paul Chase were cut up by another car driven by a local paint salesman, oh. Theodore Kidder. Nelson lost his temper and gave Chase, crowding Kidder to the curb. The salesman exited his vehicle to protest, but Nelson shot him dead. Oh, so he cut him off. That's what he did. Yeah, cut him off. And he fucking and cut him he off. Had some road rage going on. You just don't cut. You don't cut babyface Nelson off. Baby. Had some road rage going on. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and, and shoot him dead. Shoot him dead. So you never get out of your car to confront the guy, anyways. Right. Two days later, the new gang with Hamilton's participation as a sixth man uncertain. Mm-hmm. 
They struck the Security National Bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. In this very robbery, which netted around $49,000, $50,000, right. figures different slightly. Nelson severely wounded motorcycle policeman Hale Keith with a burst of submachine gun fire Jeez. as the officer was arriving at the scene. Dude, just imagine pulling up as an officer and instantly getting fired on on a fucking right. Ridiculous. Stupid. Lucky he only got shot in the legs. Well, he was severely wounded, so it was more in the legs. They, they probably fired on his ass as he was rolling up in the car, so... Right. The six men were soon identified as the second Dillinger gang. Okay. Oh, second them. Uh-huh. He took a back seat to John. Right. Due to Dillinger's extreme notoriety, but the gang had no official leader. Mm, well, we know who the leader was. Right. On March 13th, a week after the robbery in Sioux Falls, the gang robbed the First National Bank in Mason City, Iowa. Dillinger and Hamilton were both shot and wounded in this robbery, where they made off with $52,000. Damn. On April 3rd, federal agents ambushed and killed Eddie Green, though he was unarmed and they were uncertain of his identity. Whoa, they just shooting this motherfucker. They didn't even hey, care. Man. In the aftermath of the Mason City robbery, Nelson and Paul, Nelson and John Paul Chase fled west to Reno again, mm. where their old bosses Bill Graham and Jim McKay were fighting a federal mail fraud case. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, years later, the FBI determined that on March 22nd, 1934, Nelson and Chase abducted and killed the chief witness against the pair. Oh, shit. Named Roy Fritch. Fritch's body, his quartered body, was said to have been thrown down an abandoned mine shaft and was never found. How do they know it's quartered? Right. They don't know anything. Hmm. 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 How you can say his quartered body, his quartered body was said to have been thrown down an abandoned mine shaft, never found. How do we know it's quartered? Ridiculous. Right. Here's where it gets interesting, though. Mid-afternoon, 20th of April. Nelson, Dillinger, Van Meter. What year is this? 1934. 20th April, 1934. We got Babyface Nelson. We got John Dillinger. We got uh, Van Meter. We got Carol. We got Hamilton. And gang associate and Aaron runner, Pat Riley. Okay, there's a lot of guys. Accompanied by Babyface's wife, Helen, and three girlfriends of the other men. Well, they arrived at the secluded Little Bohemia Lodge oh. in Manitowish Waters, Wisconsin. They're like, this seems like a decent spot out in the middle of nowhere. We can rest for the weekend. And uh, anybody that knows Dillinger's story knows the uh, shootout of the Little Bohemia Lodge. Right. And this is where things get fun. Mm-hmm. The gang's connection to the resort apparently came from the previous dealings between Dillinger's attorney, Lois Piquet, Lewis Piquet. Piquet. P I Q U E T T, however you want to say it. And the lodge owner, Emil Wanaka. Wanatka. Wanatka. Wanatka? Wanatka. W A N A T K A. Though gang members greeted him by name, Wanatka maintained that he was unaware of their identities until sometime later that night. Lies. According to Brian Burroughs' book, Public Enemies, America's Greatest Crime Wave and the Birth of the FBI, 1933-34, that's a long title, right. this most likely happened when Wanatka was playing cards with Dillinger, Nelson, and Hamilton. When Dillinger won a round and raked in the pot, Wanatka caught a glimpse of Dillinger's pistol concealed in his coat and noticed that Nelson and the others also had shoulder holsters. Ooh, so okay. instantly. Okay. Well, the very next day, while she was away from the lodge with her young son at a children's birthday party, Fucking birthday parties is ruin everything. Right. Uh, Wanaka's wife informed a friend, which was named Henry Voss. Fucking Natalie. <laughs> right. Natalie Voss. Get it. Remember we did the whole joke about the Chase movie on the Dillinger episode. We did. We know this guy Henry yeah. Voss. Yeah. Mm. Fucking burn his fucking side of his neck with the uh, cigarette lighter. Uh. Anyway, Henry Voss and uh, they. <laughs> <laughs> They informed that the Dillinger gang was indeed at the lodge. It sure was. The FBI was subsequently given the tip early on the 22nd of April. Okay. Melvin Purvis and a number of agents arrived by plane from Chicago. So they're in Chicago looking for this motherfucker. They didn't even know he was up in Mini. Right. Obvious. And with the gang's departure imminent, they attacked the lodge quickly and with little preparation. So they didn't know what's going on. They just came in. They're just fucking... Boom, let's get this shit done. They didn't notify any help. They didn't obtain any type of... Nobody knew these guys were here. From the local authorities, at least. Right. Local like, authorities. We're going in yeah. by ourselves. We ain't, we ain't notifying nobody. Right. So we got some crazy fucking uh, cowboy shit. We got some cowboy shit They're going coming in, in, man. 
Wanaka offered a $1 dinner special on Sunday nights, and the last of a crowd estimated at 75 people were leaving as the agents arrived in the front driveway. Oh, shit. In 1933, Chevrolet Coupe was leaving at the moment with three departing Lodge customers, John Hoffman, Eugene Boisno, and John Morris, who apparently did not hear an order to halt oh. because the car radio drowned out the agents yelling them to stop. No shit. They were hammered. The agents quickly opened fire on them, instantly killing Boisno and wounding the others and alerting the gang members inside. So these motherfuckers just They murdered. killed innocent citizens, dude. For no reason. They were just walking out. Because they had a good time. They had a good time. They're walking out. They're probably like, yeah. Fuck you! Ah! You sure you tried this ah! stick? Right. <laughs> halt! Uh, fuck these guys! <laughs> fuck. Turn oh, the song dude. up. The saxophone solo is fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> and then dead. Right. Poor guys. This is fucked up. Mm. That is fucked up. Well, adding to this very fucking chaos that's going on here, at this very moment, Pat Riley returned to the lodge after an out-of-town errand for Van Meter. Accompanied by John Hampton's girlfriend, Pat Sherrington, so Pat and Pat, the Pat and Pat Club, right. huh? Accosted by the agents, Riley and Sherrington backed out and escaped under fire. Dillinger, Van Meter, Hampton, and Carroll escaped through the back of the lodge, which was unguarded, and made their way north on foot through the woods and past a lake to commandeer a car and a driver at a resort a mile away. Uh, Carroll was not far behind them. He made it to uh, Manitowish and stole the car, making it uneventfully to St. Paul. So at least he made it there, right? Uneventfully as well. No problems whatsoever. Right. Well, Nelson, who had been outside the lodge in the adjacent cabin, characteristically attacked the raiding party head-on, exchanging fire with Purvis before retreating into the lodge under a return volley from other agents. From there, he slipped out the back and fled in the opposite direction from the others. Emerging from the woods 90 minutes later, a mile away from Little Bohemia, Nelson kidnapped the Lane couple from their home and ordered them to drive him away. Damn right he did. Apparently, dissatisfied with the car's speed, he quickly ordered them to pull up at a brightly lit house with a switchboard operator, Elvin Corner. Aware of the ongoing events, oh, mind you. Oh, okay. So quickly, he was already look out for him, right, huh? Quickly phoned authorities at one... Quickly phoned authorities at one of the involved lodges to report a suspicious vehicle in front of his home. <laughs> He's like, there's some crazy shit there's going some, in front there's of the a, house. You know, there's a vehicle out there, and it's pretty suspicious acting right. right now. Shortly after, Nelson had entered the home, taken the coroner's hostage. Emil Wanaka arrived with his brother-in-law, George Laporte, and a lodge employee, while a fourth man remained in the car. So there's a guy, another guy in the car and a lodge employee. He's bringing a lie. Why would you, why would you subject a lodge employee to this? Right. He's like, dude, I know, uh... Can you shoot a gun? Uh, you can't know. I know all these guys, We just they just had a fucking massive shootout at our lodge, but you want to come with us? Right. <laughs> I'll pay you 85 cents an hour. Ah, Nelson ordered Corner and Wanaka back into their vehicles, where the fourth man remained unnoticed in the back seat, so nobody noticed this guy in the back seat. As they were preparing to leave with Wanaka driving at gunpoint, another car arrived with two federal agents, W. Carter Baum and J. Newman, as well as a local constable, Carl Christensen. So a lot of people's coming here. Oh, they're coming there, man. Stuff going on here. You got one at the Little Bavaria, right, or the Bohemian, or whatever the fuck it is, and then now here. Well, Nelson asked the agents who they were, and upon the agents identifying themselves, Nelson quickly opened fire with his fully automatic pistol, oh, which is the Colt right. thirty-eight, severely wounding Christensen and Newman. And Newman and killing Baum, who Damn. was hit three times in the neck. Oh, shit. Nelson was later quoted as having said that Baum had him cold and could not understand why he had not fired. Right. It was found that the safety safety catch on Baum's gun was on. So oh, he no. definitely he, he definitely tried to fire, but that safety, he just couldn't, he couldn't fucking clean. He, re- he didn't remember the safety, man. Well, babyface Nelson stole the FBI car less than 15 miles away. The car suffered a flat tire. Oh, jeez. And finally became mirrored in mud as Nelson attempted unsuccessfully to change it. He's like, I can't change this fucking tire. 15 miles away is quite a long way back then. Eh, not really. Yeah, vehicles. It's 15 minutes away. All right. Back on foot, he wandered into the woods. He was like, fuck that car, let's go. And took up residence with a Chippewa family in oh, their wow. secluded Look cabin guys. for several that. days before making his final escape in another com- commandeered vehicle. So he didn't wait long enough, I don't think. He should have waited for a while. Good thing he didn't murder them. Right. You think that's where that scene for Natural Born Killers come from? Could be. Right? Could be where he went to the... He didn't get bit by snakes, though, so... Right. I'm saying uh, 
Nelson didn't get bit by snakes, though. Yeah, but they got bit by snakes afterwards. Yeah, going out to the desert after they gave him the peyote or whatever the fuck that he was high on. He was high as fuck when he went out into the desert. Got bit by a snake. That's when they went to the fucking uh, convenience store. It's true. Or grocery store or whatever the fuck it was. All fucked up. Right. Well, three of the women who had accompanied the gang, including Nelson's wife, Helen, were captured inside the lodge. Hmm. Well, after grueling interrogations by the FBI, the three were ultimately convicted on harboring charges and released on parole. Who were convicted? Helen and uh, two other of the girlfriends. Right. Right. So we got that going, right? Right. With an agent and an innocent bystander dead, four more severely wounded, including two more innocent bystanders, as well as the complete escape of the Dillinger gang. The FBI came under severe criticism. Yes, they did. With calls for director J. Edgar Hoover's resignation mm-hmm. and a widely circulated petition demanding Purvis's suspension. Oh, shit. So, so people were in pissed. Hot. Told you they were in hot water, man, people at this time. People were pissed. Yeah, well, at the time of the Little Bohemia shootout, Nelson's identity as a member of the Dillinger gang had been known to the FBI for two weeks. Mm. Well, following the killing of Baum, Nelson became nationally notorious and was made a high-priority target of the Bureau. I mean, that's all it takes. All you got to do is kill one of their own, you know? Federal crime now, baby. Mm-hmm. The focus on him and the murdered agent served to deflect some of the intense criticism directed at Hoover and Purvis following the Hoover Little Bohemia debacle. Yeah, but what was really going on? That's what I want to know. Hoover fucked up. He did. Purvis fucked up. Well, were they... Remember in the Dillinger one... Were they part of it? You remember in the Dillinger one, they had to call Hoover and was like, should we shoot in this crowd of people? And Hoover's like, no, don't right. shoot in this crowd of people. Right. Like this, this whole fucking bureau is fucked yeah, right now. Nobody is. knows what's going on. It's sad. It is. It's sad. A day after the Little Bohemia raid, Dillinger, Hamilton, and Van Meter, they ran through a police roadblock near Hastings, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Drawing fire from officers there, they uh, I think I, uh, what happened? Oh, yeah, the, the police officers were shooting at him. Right. A ricochet bullet struck Hamilton in the back. Fatally wounded him, so he yes, died. Sir. Gone. Ham- Hamilton reportedly died uh, in hiding on the thirtieth or the first of thirtieth April or the first of May. Yeah, sometime middle of the night, basically. Right, he died, and was secretly buried by Dillinger and others, including Nelson, who had rejoined the gang in Aurora, Aurora, Illinois. Well, on June seventh, gang member Tommy Carroll was killed while trying to evade arrest in Waterloo, Iowa. Carroll and his girlfriend Jean Crompton, who had been captured and tried with Helen Gillis after Little Bohemia had grown close to the Nelsons, and his death was a personal blow to them. So basically by this time, these guys, I mean... They're, they're taking out everybody. Dude. Their shit's falling apart. They're taking out everybody. I mean, their shit's falling they're, apart, They're too. going from the ground up. Right. Pretty but, much. But they're but taking they're, out every, all their associates, all the people right. associated and with them. Babyface Nelson, all these guys know it's just falling apart. They just had berries. Oh, they're on the run, right. Yeah, they're done. Well, they're, Nelson they're and his falling wife... apart from the seams. And then Nelson and his wife went into hiding during the ensuing weeks, and although they were in the Chicago area, their precise movements in this period remain obscure. We don't know. Nobody knows where they were at. They're doing it right. The Nelsons reportedly lived in various tourist camps while continuing to secretly meet with family members whenever possible. Obviously. So they're like Bonnie and Clyde. They had to go and meet, meet with family members. Right. I mean, come on, Jesus. They had enough money to fucking chill back. This guy had You don't meet money. with anybody. I don't care if, uh, any no, family. You don't no. mean you're doing this. You're killing right. federal agents. You're right. on the run. You're robbing banks. You don't fucking meet with family members. Why would I don't understand these and people? And we haven't dude. heard anything about the way they spent the money. So all the money they made, he should have millions. I'm saying, right. Like, what, have, what the fuck are these guys doing? Right. He should understand. not even be Stupid. in the Midwest still. Stupid. He should be in the Bahamas or something. Right. He should be in Panama or something. Right. Get the fuck out of here. 27th of June, 1934. Former game Aaron Runner. And Little Bohemia fugitive Pat Riley. Okay. He's arrested, St. Paul, Minnesota. All right. June 30th, morning of Nelson, Dillinger, <laughs> Van Meter, and one more, and one or more additional accomplices robbed the Merchants National Bank in South Bend, Indiana. So they're still fucking. Look at these guys. The gall on these guys, dude. They're still just robbing banks and they just killed federal agents a month ago. <laughs> Not too far away. Right. They're only in fucking South Bend. That's right down the fucking right road. Right there. Right there. Wow. One man involved in the robbery is believed to have been Pretty Boy Floyd. Hey, what I tell you, there was one more. There he is. There he is. Which we will hear about there in he the is. next coming weeks. Pretty Boy Floyd. There he is. He's the last of our... Uh, so we got Nelson Dillinger, the- Van Meter, uh, and Pretty Boy Floyd. Right. In South Bend, Indiana, known on the 30th of June in 1934. As well as a uh, later account of Joseph Fat- Fatso Negri. Right. Uh, yeah, and based on uh, several eyewitnesses. Right. Fatso was there. Yep. 
and an old Nelson associate from California who was serving as a gopher. So another guy that nobody even knows. I mean, sure, the FBI knows. No, Negri is the gopher. He was serving as the uh, kind of oh, like uh, the, uh, the, uh, the distraction uh, guy uh, almost. Uh, uh, right. Sorry. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's the, yeah. Right. Right. Another rumor participant was Nelson's childhood friend, Jack Perkins. Okay. I think it's the first time we heard this name. Also an associate of the gang at this very time. He was probably one of those guys who did good, and you know he could uh, uh, help these guys out somehow. You know what I mean? He's a childhood friend. Right. Got to trust him. They tried uh, charging Perkins with rivalry, but he was quitted because they were like, there's nothing out of this guy. We can't. We, we got nothing out of him. Right. We got nothing out of him. We right. can't try him with that. He was just a. He was. A, he was actually a real friend. Right. Well, when that robbery began, policeman Howard Wagner had been directing traffic outside, responding quickly to the scene and attempted to draw his gun. He was shot dead. Oh no! By Van Meter, who oh, was stationed outside that's the, the bank. First known murder Dude, by is, Van Meter. This is literally Western shit. Listen to the sentence again. When the robbery began. Policeman Howard Wagner had been directing traffic outside. Well, he wouldn't be directing traffic in the Wild West, but he responded quickly to the scene and attempted he attempted to draw his gun. He was shot dead by Van Meter, who was stationed outside the bank, right. which all the Old West bank robbers had, you know, right. outside the bank. That's when the, all the shit started. Right. Well, during the shootout that followed, inevitably, Nelson exchanged fire with the local jeweler, Harry Berg, who had shot him in the chest. Ineffectively, though. But still Old West shit. Right. I mean, you got they're they're fucking, close range and fucking... Well, you got they're having a shootout. Owner, you got shop owners and shit coming out. Exactly. Well, Harry Berg shot Nelson in the check, chest, was, which was ineffective because of Nelson's bulletproof vest. As nice. Berg retreated into a store under a return volley from Nelson, a man in a parked car was wounded at the oh, same no. time. Oh, This guy just sitting in his car is like, just please don't know me shooting. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did. Nelson also grappled briefly with a teenage boy, Joseph Pawlowski, who attacked him until Nelson or Van Meter stunned Pawlowski with a blow from his gun. It was probably it was probably Van Meter. But it was gone. Right. Was, Doom. Yeah, it was probably Van Meter came in with with the little slapperoonie. Oh, it was hundred percent Van Meter. If he was grappling with Nelson, right. When Dillinger and the man identified as Floyd, unconfirmed. Emerged from the bank with sacks containing $28,000. They brought three hostages with them, including the bank president. Ooh, the bank president. He's like, you better not fucking kill me right. at all. They're like, what are you doing? I'm taking you so they didn't, motherfuckers don't shoot me. Right. There was three patrolmen on the scene, and they're like, we're going to deter yeah. the gunfire from these motherfuckers. Well, the policemen fired nonetheless. They did. And Wounded two of the hostages before grazing Van Meter in the head. Ooh. The gang escaped, and Van Meter recovered. In the constant and chaotic exchange of gunfire, several other bystanders were wounded by shots, ricochets, or flying broken glass. It was the last confirmed robbery for all of the known and suspected participants, including Floyd. Unconfirmed. Which is unconfirmed. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll see that later. Right. But all these guys involved, Dillinger, Van Meter, um, Nelson, all these guys, this is the last robbery for all of them. Right. During the month of July... As the FBI manhunt for him continued, Nelson and his wife fled to California with associate John Paul Chase. That's where you should have been the whole fucking right. time, Nelson. How much money do you need? I don't understand. Right. Well, John Paul Chase remained with Babyface Nelson for the rest of his life. Okay. Upon their return to Chicago on the 15th of July, the gang held a reunion meeting at a favorite rendezvous site. Oh, my gosh. When the meeting was interrupted by the two Illinois state troopers, Fred <sighs> McAllister and Gilbert Cross, Nelson fired on their vehicle with his converted machine gun, but he still had it. He still had that 38 Colt, He's like, baby. you guys remember this? Right. He wounded both men as the gangsters retreated. Okay. Cross was badly wounded, but he and McAllister survived. So, like, we survived this We shit. survived a gang shootout with Nelson. Right. Babyface Nelson's responsibility was uncertain until verification came later in the form of a confession by, you guessed it, you probably didn't, <laughs> John Paul Chase. He remained with him for the rest. Yeah, of course. Uh, Babyface is dead by the time his confession came along. We, right. can, we can spoil that ending. Right. So Chase is giving everything he can to fucking uh, get a lesser sentence there, right? Right. Do what he can do. Well, on July 22nd. 1934, Dillinger was ambushed and killed by FBI agents outside the Biograph Theater in Lincoln Park, Chicago. We last week. We did. The next day, the FBI announced that Pretty Boy Floyd was now was now public enemy number one. It wasn't even Babyface Nelson. Nope. But that was short-lived because on October 22nd, 1934, Floyd was killed in a shootout with agents, including Melvin Purvis. 
Subsequently, J. Edgar Hoover announced that Nelson was now the new public enemy number one! Then we probably should have waited to do Nelson to last. No. And then do fucking... No. Obviously, because Floyd's no. dead now. Floyd's going to end it for us. Right. 23rd well, August. public enemy era, anyway. 23rd August, 1934. Van Meter was ambushed and killed yeah, by police Van in Meter, Paul. but I had, ho- I had high hopes for you, Van Meter. Leaving Babyface Nelson as a sole survivor of the so-called second Dillinger gang. Everybody's gone. Well, in the ensuing months, Nelson and his wife, usually accompanied by Chase... Drifted west to cities including Sacramento, San Francisco, also Reno and Las Vegas. They often stayed in auto camps, including Wally's Hot Springs, Wally's Hot Springs, Genoa, uh, Nevada. Yes, sir. Where they hit out from October first before returning to Chicago around the first of November. Okay, well, exactly one month. They were like, right. you know, what? we're gonna we're gonna do one month exactly out here, and right. then we're gonna go back to Chicago. Out. Nelson's, right. Nelson's movements during the final month of his life are largely unknown. <sighs> See, Nobody knows. That's the thing. He was, See, he, if he would have just stayed away from Chicago if he in just, the Midwest. That's my point. He would have been fine. The final month before he went back to Chicago, nobody, nobody knew what he did. Nobody, nobody was looking knew for him. what he did. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody right. knew what the fuck was going on with this guy. But then he's like, I'm going to go back to Chicago. I want to go back to Chicago. I'm going to go back to Chicago. And his wife's like, why? He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I just got, it's a thrill of the game, it's baby. Been, it's been 10 years. It's fine. No, it's not fine. Terrible. Well, by the end of the month, FBI interests had settled on a former hideout of Nelson's, the Lake Como Inn in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, hey. where it was believed that Nelson might return for the winter, which he probably did. Right. When the Nelsons and Chase did return to the inn on November 27th, wow. they briefly came face-to-face with surprised and unprepared FBI agents wow. who had stalked... How were they unprepared? They well, knew he was coming, but they didn't know when. They thought it was going to be the winter, and they come in the fall. Or believes Nelson might return for the winter. So, yeah, he came a little bit early, I guess, right? right? Well, they were uh, they were completely uh, unprepared. They were staking it out, but still unprepared. Right. The fugitives sped away before any shots were fired. Armed with a description of the car, which was a black Ford V8. That not mean anything. And its license plate number, Ooh. which was th- 639578. That means that Agents swarmed into the area to look there, for Babyface and his people. Where's this shit? Morning of 27th of November, 1934. Babyface Nelson, blah, blah. Babyface Nelson, along with his wife Helen Gillis and associate John Paul Chase. There's old John headed, Paul right next to him. They headed south in a stolen V8 Ford toward that, Chicago. This is a little backstory of what you guys just heard, which is which is known right now. Uh, it's a description of the car that just happened in the uh, last shit, right? V8 Ford. V8 Ford. License plate number six three nine five seven eight. Well, they didn't say that here, but uh, but they're going to Chicago Highway twelve now US fourteen. Okay, Babyface Nelson, always keen to spot federal agents, caught sight of a sedan driven in the opposite direction by agents Thomas McDade and William. So this Ryan. motherfucker was driving opposite directions, noticed the headlights pretty much, and he or was the, like the make of the right. car, and was like, he's like, those are federal. He's like, we're <laughs> fucked. For those some are reason, federal. I know they know we're in this car. Yes, sir. Well. <laughs> Both. I know they know we're in this car. And that's true because both parties simultaneously recognized each other. And after several U-turns by both vehicles, Nelson wound up in pursuit of the agent's car. Oh. Wow. When Nelson's powerful Ford caught up to the agent's slower sedan, Chase opened fire on the agents. Ryan and McDade returned fire, sped up, then pulled into a field and awaited Nelson and Chase, who had stopped pursuing. McDade and Ryan were unaware that one of their bullets had punctured the water pump of Nelson's Ford. Nice. Oh. With, ne- with Nelson's Ford rapidly losing power, a Hudson automobile driven by Hollis, who had been given credit as one of the agents who fired the fatal shots that killed Dillinger and uh, Agent Cowley, they began pursuing the Ford themselves. Oh. Wow. Okay. So fucking uh, Hudson or Hollis, he's about to get himself two public enemy number ones here. Maybe. Hmm. With his pursuers attempting to pull alongside, Babyface Nelson skidded into the entrance to Barrington's Northside Park. Hollis and Kelly overshot Nelson's car by about 100 feet. <laughs> and stopped. They're like, these motherfuckers stopped, and then these guys were like, oh, shit. All right. They stopped at an angle 
Right. Upon exiting the vehicle's uh, passenger door, the agents took cover behind the car. They're like, let's get out. Let's fucking let's do some shit. The ensuing shootout was witnessed by more than a dozen people. Well, Nelson yelled to Helen to take cover in a nearby ditch. Then he and Chase opened fire on the agents. Both Collie and Hollis returned fire from behind their vehicle. A single forty-five slug from Collie's machine gun struck Nelson in the lower abdomen. Ooh. Nelson leaned on the Ford's running board, then wordlessly exchanged weapons with How Chase. How the fuck did he get him in the abdomen? He's behind a fucking vehicle. Yeah, well, he was probably over the hood, and then fucking boom. Idiot. He wordlessly exchanged weapons with Chase. He's like, Chase, you take my, uh, you, it's up to you now, pretty much. Right. He's telling Chase, you need to take this weapon and fucking do what you need to do. Right. In the din of the gun battle, Chase heard Nelson complain that his weapon was jamming. He's like, fucking gun. And the wounded uh, Nelson swapped it out for either a three fifty one Winchester or a Colt Monitor machine rifle. Okay. Despite his grievous wound, Nelson moved from behind the car and advanced toward the agents while firing his advanced weapon. Advanced towards the agents. So he fucking came out from undercover and was like, I'm invincible, bitch. He, he, did, a, he did a fucking uh, uh, Scarface fucking right. coming I mean, out. It's, it's just stupid. Right. Two of his bullets struck Cowley. Several buckshot pellets from Hollis's shotgun then struck Nelson in his legs and knocked oh, him down. And cut him down. Basically, right? They, yeah. Cut him down. As Nelson regained his feet, Hollis, possibly already wounded, moved to better cover behind a utility pole. Mm. As he drew a service pistol, Nelson fatally shot Hollis in the head. Wow. Nelson staggered over Hollis's body, aimed his weapon at the agent's fall- fallen form for a moment, then limped toward the agent's Hudson, the car. Nelson drove the car over to the disabled Ford. After loading the agent's car with the Ford's guns and supplies, Nelson let Chase get behind the wheel of the agent's car, and the two men and Helen Gillis fled the scene. Wow. So he got got gunned down by a damn... He got shot in the abdomen. I can't say why can't I say the word. He's dying. Abdomen. He's dying. Got cut down by the fucking shotgun bullets to his legs. Still managed to get fucking Hollis in his head. All right. Mm-hmm. Get the car. Get the car, car and then go and uh, have uh, right. Chase drive him away. Well, Nason was shot a total of nine times. Nason? Oh, Nason. Uh, Babyface Nelson was shot a total of nine times. Jeez. A single and There's ultimately fatal machine gun slug had struck his abdomen. I mean, There's one. And eight of Hollis's shotgun pellets at his legs. There's I mean, well, the not... legs were survivable. Right. That, that fucking midsection. You're right. done. You're done. <laughs> Later. News reports inaccurately gave his number of wounds as 17. Yeah. Possibly due to the minorum uh, released by J. Edgar Hoover stating 7 to 10 wounds. 17, I guess. Idiots. <laughs> right. After telling his wife, I'm done for, Nelson gave directions as Chase drove them to a safe house on Walnut Street in Wilmette. I'm guessing in uh, Illinois. I would assume so. Uh, Nelson died in bed with his wife by his side. 7.35 p.m. Damn, dude. Wow. Hollis was pronounced dead soon after arriving at the hospital. At a different hospital, Cowley lived for long enough to confer briefly with Melvin Purvis and have surgery before succumbing to a stomach wound similar to Nelson's. Oh, no. Following a telephone tip from a Chicago telephone company employee, Carl Fiery, who was working on the telephone lines and saw a body on the ground. Nelson's body was discovered wrapped in an Indian pattern blanket by FBI agent Walter Walsh. Really? In a ditch on the northeast corner of the St. Paul's Lutheran Cemetery in Skokie. In a ditch? And he was taken to Haven's funeral home, both of which still exist. So the St. Paul's Lutheran Cemetery in Skokie and the Haven's funeral home are still in operation. Really? Helen later stated that she had placed a blanket around Nelson's body because he always hated being cold. Yeah, they had to ditch him, man, and they I were guess. they were fucking. Uh, right. they, they had to get away. Wow. Newspapers reported, based on the questionable wording of an order from J. Edgar Hoover, find the woman and give her no quarter. That the FBI had issued a death order for Babyface Nelson's widow, who wandered the streets of Chicago as a fugitive for several days after this, described in a print as the United States' first female. Public, Public enemy. enemy. Helen. Oh, Helen. Public enemy number one, female edition. Mm-hmm. After surrendering on Turkey Day, Helen, who had been paroled after capture at Little Bohemia, served a year in prison for harboring her husband. That's it. She served a year. Chase was apprehended later and served a term at Alcatraz. We don't know. How, he, he probably served a long time. And that's the end of uh, 
That's the end of Babyface's accomplices. They both served little time, pretty much. We don't know. Chase got away forever. He's Alcatraz. He's on every years. Chase was apprehended later, served a term at Alcatraz, which implies he was uh, let loose served, at some point. Served a term. Served a term. He had a term in jail. Prison. What a hell of a story. I don't give a fuck. Wow. I was more intrigued by Babyface Nelson's story than I was Dillinger's. Yeah, Nelson's was, uh, wow. Dillinger is like a, uh, uh, he was amateur. Just more, he was just more famous. Well, he's like an amateur, though, compared to this guy. And plus, how did, how did neither one of these guys get involved with the fucking five families? How? How did neither of them? Yeah. I don't yeah. understand. Because they're in the Midwest, man. Yeah, five families in Chicago. Yeah. But they did all their shit in Iowa and South Bend, Indiana and Grand Haven, yeah. Michigan and all better. that shit. Where, they knew better. Right, where all that, where all the mafia shit really, really wasn't uh, right. taken over then. But They knew they couldn't go to Chicago. Plus the mafia it. didn't do bank robberies. Right. That's true as well. So, These guys were some outlaws. These guys were two definitions of outlaws. So there you have it. Babyface Nelson, the uh, third official public enemy number one after Dillinger and after uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, who will... We'll have all about him right. next week on Outlaws and Gunslingers. I mean, I don't think there's nothing else we can say. What a hell of a fucking story this was. John Dillinger? No. And uh, Babyface Nelson together. There were two stories in two weeks. They're fucking fantastic. They were. But I think, like I said, yeah, I think I think Nelson's story was a lot more. Uh, that's what we're looking for. I don't know. It's just more interesting to me when a lot of people are killed. I don't know. It's just a more interesting story. Babyface Nelson killed the most FBI agents in active duty than any other person in history. He did. He did. This guy was a Zamoida. He's a Zamoidier. Moidier. Whatever happened to Wanaka? Wanaka? Yeah. Nothing ever said about that. Well, that was the guy that uh, turned him in. Yeah, but no one ever said anything happened to him. Did he live his life out? Why would it matter? As a happy fucking guy. Well, he's telling stories. He's got his own story to tell. Well, Wanaka, maybe there's a... Uh, there's no fucking story maybe by there's Wanaka. A, maybe there's, there's no a book by Wanaka. Maybe there's a book or something that he wrote. I don't know. That's up, that's up for the audience to look up. So there you have it. Outlaws and Gunslingers. Babyface Nelson. And that's our uh, second to last. Well, not second to last. Yeah, second to last. Maybe. Second to last, uh, all about the public enemies. Oh, public enemies, yeah. Because uh, next week we'll be ending the public enemy era with Pretty Boy Floyd. And then that's where we'll get into the rest of the 30s with the more... There's there's notorious gangsters all across the 30s going out. You guys already know how we do it. Like I'll reiterate once again for all you guys that don't understand and don't know. We're not oh, experts. We experts. don't claim to be experts. We didn't go to school and do history fucking all this. We're not Mm-mm. doctorates in anything. Well, we did go to school and do history. Well, everybody went to school and did history, but not we didn't study. We're not yeah. studiers of these guys. No. We're we're learning along with you guys, so take it take it or leave it. We uh, mispronounce a name. Boo right. fucking who. Take it or leave it. That's what we do. So this is us learning history with you guys. So if you enjoy like, us, like, you'll come back next like week last, for uh, like Pretty Boy like, Floyd. Like Las Vegas, Nevada. Las Vegas. Nevada. <laughs> right, I get it. So fuck off. If you guys enjoy it, you'll come back next week for Pretty Boy Floyd. If not, then I uh, guess you ain't joining us. But we will be back next week for Pretty Boy Floyd on Outlaws and Gunslingers. If you like all this back and forth nonsense Whatever. shit that we've been talking you can go check out the Bang Dang Show wherever you get the podcasts. Wherever you get the podcast. The Bang Dang Show. We talk about politics. We talk about sports, news, music, whatever and else we feel like talking about. Everything. If you're a wrestling fan, you go check out the Monday Night Wars Long, where we went back to the very first episode of Monday Nitro. At the Mall of America in Mall of America in Minneapolis. And we go head-to-head. Raw's main event, Nitro's main event, as well as well as as well as any pay-per-views in between. We just do the main uh, events. It's a, an extra And, uh, well, extracurricular to us, but not to you. But all the main events, and we decide who really won the Monday Night War. So that's the Monday Night Watch Long, wherever you get your podcast. As of race, as a race now. <laughs> as a race now. As of right now, the numbers will be surprising. I don't think they will be, because uh, we're in the number, we're in the midst of where the numbers... Or should where where they should be? We'll find out. Won't we? Join us next week. Pretty boy Floyd, Outlaws and Gunslingers, were the mouth of Michiganders with Bang Dang. <laughs>